Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Techspansive. I am Sean Dubervac from Avrio Institute. And I'm Ross Rubin at Radical Research. We're going to dive into CS this week. CS happened uh, digitally, their new all-digital commitment in the midst of a pandemic. And then right on the heels of CES, actually on what is the last day of CES, Samsung hosted their virtual unpacked event. And so we've got a lot of tech news to get through. Uh, we thought we'd take a look at CES by area, by, by uh, coverage area. One of the big areas always at CES, if you think back to the legacy of CES, is, is audio and video. So radios and TVs and TVs continue to be a mainstay at CES. And we saw a lot of announcements from TCL, LG, Samsung, Sony, and, and others. A couple of the big themes, uh, we continue to make the migration from 4K to 8K. We're making bigger, better, brighter televisions. Samsung showed their wall TV, which I just think is absolutely gorgeous. Their micro LED technology. Uh, they have a 110-inch version, which you can now buy for just $150,000. So if you were thinking about buying a luxury vehicle and you'd get rather, two, you'd rather buy a Pick up two. Yes, I'll get, get two. Um, and, you know, to me, what's most interesting is what's happening on the peripheral of television. So we saw a, a continued push in, in the direction of the user experience, this being the operating system and what the operating system is capable of doing. LG announced that Google's cloud-based gaming platform Stadia will be available directly through the television. So I think that kind of announcement is interesting and it certainly could speak to the direction of gaming going forward. Will we see Xbox and, and Sony integrate directly into televisions? And will Sony ever take the PS5 or the PS10, whenever, whatever it is by, by the time we get there, and roll it out on televisions that aren't Sony? So mm. There's some interesting dynamics there. We saw a lot, a lot around what, what the cloud could offer to a variety of, of different categories. We also saw a lot of form factor shifts, rollable technology is getting better in television. So we saw some really interesting prototypes from TCL and LG around uh, rollable displays. We also saw transparent uh, LCDs, LG, OLED LG yeah. displays. And so we saw some really interesting applications for transparent displays. LG sh showed some of that. And we also saw so, some really interesting a gaming chair from uh, from Razer that would uh, oh, that thing was crazy yeah yeah project we gotta Brooklyn. spend a second we gotta spend a second on that so this is a chair where this thing comes up motorized thing comes up from behind you and then basically spreads a 60 inch OLED you know semicircular screen around you it uh, it was definitely I, I think one of the most sci-fi things at, at the show so yes yeah so we saw there both flexible and transparent, taking two of those technologies and putting them together. Now, still early prototype. And the beauty of being an all digital CES, when you launch a product, you don't actually have to show it in physical space. So this is you know, definitely uh, very early on in that, but gave you a sense of where transparent and, and flexible might meet and what type of user experiences we might have. So uh, a lot happening in televisions. Another area is uh, laptops and computing, and that's been a, a key category this year. We saw 
record growth last year and uh, by and large we expect growth this year as well in that in that category uh, really pushing what I see on the high end in the gaming arena and on the low end as we try to drive Chromebooks and other low-priced PCs into schools and, and homes. Yes, uh, so there were announcements by you know three of the major PC chip vendors, uh, Intel, AMD, and uh, NVIDIA. Uh, big news from NVIDIA was the rollout of the laptop version of their uh, Ampere processor family. So this is their next generation graphic chips, which, uh, which got a lot of attention uh, late last year. Now they're bringing them to laptops and we just saw this explosion of uh, relatively thin uh, and, and light gaming PCs. And one of the trends I think we saw last year was uh, companies like HP and Lenovo uh, making these, uh, you know, which have been making, quote, gamer PCs for a long time uh, that had, you know, this outrageous over-the-top styling with all these colors and, you know, crazy um, uh, carvings, you know, designs, uh, very aggressive, you know, design to reflect that uh, hardcore gamer. Uh, but now I, I think two things are happening. One, there's a realization that, yeah, people are using these gaming PCs for more normal things and, you know, may want to be seen in public using them. Uh, and then, you know, these, these uh, graphics chips uh, are just getting, you know, really efficient uh, and, uh, you know, they're making more progress on, on integration and, and cooling techniques. And, and that's what we're seeing uh, with the uh, the, these, these thinner, more, more mainstream uh, designs. Yeah, definitely. You, you see developments in the chip uh, space driving some of the form factor changes we're seeing on the compute side. So uh, definitely a strong move towards smaller, thinner, lighter uh, laptops, but also more efficient laptops, longer battery life, uh, heat, uh, is something that, that we've heard a lot about. And one of the things we've hit on on the podcast in the past is how a lot of the big tech companies are becoming essentially fabulous semiconductor uh, manufacturers. They're designing their own chipsets. They're proprietary to their platforms. Obviously, Apple, Apple's new, uh, you know, new work there has received, by and large, uh, strong accolades from, from industry. And I think there's a desire for others in that PC space to be able to um, to offer comparable, uh, you know, comparable performance. Yeah, there's there's been rumors for a while that Microsoft, um, you know, they, they've sort of already started down that path, customizing a Qualcomm chipset, and uh, you know, Qualcomm says that partnership will will continue. And uh, and this week uh, wasn't quite uh, associated with CES, but but it happened during the time frame Qualcomm acquiring a, a company, um, Nuvia, uh, founded by some ex-Apple engineers uh, that has promised some really breakthrough uh, performance aimed originally at the data center, uh, but Qualcomm will be <clears throat> permeating this technology throughout the, uh, the broader product line. So a lot, of, a lot of movement there. And I think for the first time, we really saw really strong push at, on at all levels of 
of PCs and compute. It was at the high end, like you pointed out, Ross, with, with gaming, it was on the low end. It was kind of across the board. And seeing compute go into a lot of other areas. So in the automotive space, we had a lot of announcements. One of the, the key themes was the still strong push towards all electric vehicles. GM launched their new uh, logo, which looks very electric to me, very <laughs> Tron-inspired definitely logo. New. logo. Uh, they announced, I think, 25 or so, 25 to 30 models that will be available in the next few years. A desire to even take the Cadillac brand and make it ex- exclusively electric. Mm. Um, and then kind of related to that, we also saw big pushes on what the interior of the vehicle will look like. So dashboards that are stretching the full the full width of the vehicle, 33, 34 inches, pillar to pillar, uh, very you know bright, amazing, uh, functional dashboards. We saw them from GM. We saw them from Mercedes. Samsung even showed some things that they, they were doing in partnership with Harman. And uh, obviously these are connected. They're going to drive a lot of content and information to the, to the dashboard. And they require a lot of computing power. So you see that really showing up, s- strong focus on the computing power that's driving these, uh, these devices. And, and 5G, uh, not only for some of the self-driving functionality, but you know one of Harman's big initiatives is something called Ignite, which is their... Uh, cloud uh, service. And um, they've really shown a vision of the automobile that is this environment shifting, uh, you know, kind of, uh, you know, kind kind of abode almost, uh, depending on the context of what you're doing um, with these headrests, where the sides sort of, you know, come out and, and tilt down towards your ears, uh, and, and turn into these, uh, you know, surround speakers. Um, so uh, as cars uh, advance in terms of their ability to take care of the, you know, mundane task of driving, uh, these companies are are very eager to capitalize on on that newfound time. Yeah, GM demoed a, a beautiful or at least alluded to the idea of an autonomous shuttle that is very luxurious inside seats, just two people or, or a couple of people, as opposed to some of the other prototypes we've seen around self-driving vehicles, which are really designed to move a lot of people uh, from point to point. They also showed an electric personal f- flying vehicle uh, that will, uh, you know, vertical takeoff and landing, e- evil toll, uh, device. Didn't Hyundai have like some crazy concept like that last year. They or? did a, together. A city based on it. That's right. Together yeah. with Uber, they showed uh, the potential of of that, and and GM wants in on that party, so they were, were <laughs> they, highlighting. They want in on that fantasy. Yeah. So when we all move back to our cities, uh, the right. congestion increases again post pandemic. Maybe we'll be jumping in one of these to get to our to our next de- destination. Uh, so CES was was smaller in many ways this year in an all digital format. Last year there were about 4,400 companies. This year there were about 2,000 companies exhibiting, so it was uh, a bit smarter. There were some interesting first time exhibitors this year. Caterpillar was a first time exhibitor mm. at CES. So uh, you know, in many ways, it, this is built building on a, trim, uh, a theme and a trend that we've seen in recent years. But CES is becoming 
much more focused on the enterprise. I would argue that this year, despite being a smaller show, was the largest industrial CES that we've that we've seen in the past. So a lot happening on that front as well. And if you missed any of it, you can still tune in. They had 100 plus hours of programming. Much of it, if not all of it, will be available on demand through February 15th. So it's not too late to go to CES. Uh, I guess for the first time, what happens in Vegas doesn't stay in, in Vegas. <laughs> It'll stay uh, the there other, for a little while longer. Yeah. yeah. The, <laughs> other, the other big event that took place this week was Samsung's Unpacked event. So it was interesting to me that they that they held it essentially during CES, right at the end of CES, but not in conjunction with CES. So they had their their normal CES presence, and then they also had this unpacked event. But actually, it seemed like it was maybe a, a, a wise strategic move because there's a lot of coverage of what's happening in tech right now. Everybody's focused on it because of CES, and then they moved that, the conversation right into unpacked. So I imagine that uh, from a from a marketing and touch standpoint, that it probably was good timing for them. Yeah, you know, in the past they have kind of co-hosted this event with Mobile World Congress, which takes place you know, about two months from now, and of course will also be a virtual event. Uh, but well, and it was having, this year Mobile World Congress, which normally takes place in February, I think was delayed to June. So oh, that's right. That's a good point. Uh, right. So that probably accelerated the need to do this separate mobile event for right. Samsung. And when you're doing everything in a virtual setting, anyways, there there's right, probably fewer logistics yeah. to, to be concerned about. Right, you, you hit you hit the play button, you know, in, in January instead of in February. Um, yeah, it uh, so you know probably the biggest news that a, a lot of folks will pick up uh, is that Samsung, you know, essentially moved the pricing down of uh, the S series about two hundred dollars in recognition of uh, you know a lot of the challenges that we're seeing at the high end of the smartphone market. Um, they also are bringing the S Pen uh, to the high end uh, of the line, which. Uh, Many people think, uh, forgive the pun, is the writing on the wall for the uh, the Galaxy Note, uh, which has uh, previously been distinguished by uh, by the S Pen, and you know will certainly uh, have some functionality that that we're not seeing here. You know, integration here it's it's sold as an accessory, and you can't dock it inside the phone. But but it it certainly signals uh, more of a shift uh, away from. The Galaxy Note. Um, you know, I would say that the uh, the, the S twenty one has a, a nicer design than than the S twenty, um, but a lot of the core specs have not really changed uh, dramatically. Uh, you know, particularly when it comes to imaging, which is a, a huge feature uh, for uh, for buyers. Um, a little bit more differentiation on the Ultra, which is the super premium top of the line people who want the best of the best, as they describe it, um, uh, you know, SKU, that's the one that also has ultra wideband and this digital key functionality for unlocking your car with your phone. Uh, you know, we've also seen Apple uh, embrace that at the top of its product line. So, you know, that, that kind of stuff is going to roll out over the course of 21 and beyond as more car manufacturers support it. And they also announced. And oh, sorry, go ahead. Related to that, Ross, we did just see an announcement this week from BMW. They yep. announced their Digital Key Plus, so it's a, essentially yep. keyless access, lets you uh, unlock using the the UWB chip. 
I, th I think Apple had mentioned BMW when it when it first rolled it out on the yeah. iPhone as a partner. There, and there are a few industry consortia working on these kinds of applications, but you know we'll see how the compatibility looks. Uh, ultimately, it's going to have to be resolved, uh, and I think sooner rather than later. And uh, you know, the other thing that they uh, rolled out were their new earbuds, which are uh, you know competing with the. AirPods Pro, um, and uh, I always thought that Samsung, you know, ne never really went full bore with the earbuds, uh, given the opportunity that they had. Uh, but I think on this one, you know, they finally got it right. It was very well thought out, everything from the ergonomics to the way it can dynamically lower the volume of your music when it detects that your voice is speaking. Um, a lot of, you know, a good integration, as you, of course, you would expect, uh, being able to switch from, say, you know, a tablet to your phone on the fly when you, uh, when you get a call uh, coming in. So, um, so yeah, I, I think this is by far uh, the strongest, uh, you know, earbuds that they have. Oh, and, you know, they, they talked a lot about the audio quality. Uh, but obviously, that's that's something that's hard to judge until uh, you know you've experienced it. So, uh, so by far uh, their best uh, earbud effort, and um, you know this is becoming a more important category. Uh, it's not just about replacing, you know, and, and gaining much more margin for the earbuds used to throw away in the box, uh, but really becoming part of the platform. <clears throat> you know, uh, we've talked a lot about it. Uh, on the podcast before and this idea of hearables and the battery life is getting longer. But I also think you're starting to see this kind of triad emerging between the smartphone, the earbuds, and, and you know, some kind of wearable like, like the watch. And probably multiple wearables. I mean, at CES, sure. there was definitely a big push in the digital health space. And that, and that narrative was largely around empowering the consumer to be able to do things from home. So as much as the pandemic ushered in the ability to do virtual monitoring and virtual care, and we saw policies changed by insurance companies and even at the federal level to enable some of that, you know, I think some of the tech still needs to catch up. And we saw some of that, that uh, tech on display at CS when it comes to, to that space. So building out, you know, that ecosystem. But I, I think one of the surprises of 2020, you know, where we saw all of these categories boom, um, you know, as people stayed home, one that did not boom was smart home, uh, you know, somewhat uh, paradoxically, you, you might think. I mean, it, you know, it's still, products still sold, but they didn't, you didn't see nearly the kind of growth that, that you saw in other categories. And the paradox there is that a lot of the smart home stuff has more value to you when you're not home. You know, being able to do remote things uh, and check in on things, uh, you know, as opposed to where you're home and you'll, you know, actually walk the five feet to, you know, hit the light switch instead of issuing, you know, uh, some command to Alexa. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Uh, well, and re somewhat related to that, we did see Samsung during their Unpacked event launch the Galaxy Smart Tag, mm -hmm. which is a $30 competitor to Tile really only works with Samsung Galaxy devices, uh, but that will be available later this month as well. Yeah, you need their, uh, it integrates. Th this was definitely the most I've heard Samsung talk about their SmartThings hub uh, in a long time. 
uh, certainly the most they've ever discussed it as, uh, you know, in, in, a, in a mobile smartphone event. So, um, you know, maybe they're making some progress in, in tying together uh, their home electronics and mobile electronics, which, you know, have historically kind of gone down two different paths. We seem to hear less at this event about Bigsby. In the past, that's been a strong focus for Samsung, sure. but we didn't hear a lot about Bigsby. What do you think the internal you know, thinking is there? I, I, I think it's it's the death, you know, death by a thousand cuts. Uh, you know, first they had to remove it from the button because people on on the phone as a default because people complained. Uh, you know, in some ways, it's emblematic of a problem Samsung has had for a long time, uh, which was actually topical for the CES, which is duplicating functionality uh, that that Google offers. And, uh, you know, there's no easy fix for that. But uh, again, at this event, um, Samsung renewed its collaboration efforts with Google, uh, said that they are entering a new era, um, showed, you know, more, more support and more acknowledgement of Android Auto than I think I've ever seen, uh, pledged better interoperability with the Nest uh, home security products, uh, you know, better support for Google Duo. So, um, you know, there, there's certainly room for uh, collaboration there, but uh, Bixby has, uh, you know, and, and the challenges that it's faced has certainly caused problems for Samsung. I mean, I, you know, I would say that it's probably the main reason they've never been able to bring a, a smart speaker to market, right? We saw this, uh, you know, rash of $99 product coming out last fall from Apple, uh, Amazon, and, and Google, and they can't ship anything, uh, I guess, because that product category is so tied to the smart speaker. Um, and, and, you know, they're, they're just, uh, you know, they're, they're torn. Um, yeah. It is interesting that you have seen some of these companies cross into areas that, that you wouldn't have expected them to cross into, say, you know, even just a couple of years ago. So, for example, uh, we saw at CES in the TV space, TCL launch TV models using Google TV as, as the operating system. Probably not a huge surprise there. They already had, you know, Roku and, and others that they were uh, shipping directly embedded in the television. But you also saw Sony launch your television with Google TV. So that surprised me just a little bit. And so you, you do see uh, partnerships well, they, with some of those bigger tech companies. Yeah, I mean, they, they were probably the most prominent Android TV supporter from the beginning. Uh, but it has become an interesting battleground. Roku announced this week that, you know, they have become the leading TV operating system uh, in North America. Lots of uh, partnerships primarily with Chinese brands and, uh, you know, some of the legacy CE brands that those companies have acquired. And they're, you know, they're capitalizing on it with the licensing revenue. We saw them really uh, pressure, uh, you know, these services like HBO Max and, and Peacock to uh, join the fold, you know, and, and uh, pay whatever revenue share or however, however they do it, uh, you know, to get on the platform. And now they are uh, leveraging that into more audio. You know, they had a, a very nice $99 speaker bar last holiday season. And now they're rolling out this whole program for speakers to connect more easily to Roku TVs. So 
you know, they're, uh, they're definitely on the march uh, when it comes to this home entertainment environment. And I think as, as a re- it relates to that, we will see more services happening through the television as well as they become connected to the cloud. Already, you're seeing that with things like gaming, and that will probably accelerate moving forward. But it could have an impact on radio. It could have an impact on other services. And, and you know, I think that's the vision of the smart home that we've long talked about and touted was you could sit on your couch and order your food directly from your, your television. For the most part, you're not doing that today. You're using your phone to do that and going to an app, but maybe moving forward, some of these operating systems will become more sophisticated and tie into more of those services. Yeah. And, and the screens are blurring, right? Uh, during you know the, that Samsung integration we mentioned, there was the capability to throw your phone screen up on the TV to do some kind of video chat, you know, for example. Um, and every PC company has some initiative to uh, bridge the gap between the PC and the phone, as does Microsoft. You know, that's something they've also partnered with uh, with Samsung on. Yeah, LG showed a remote that has NFC built into it. So all you have to do is tap your phone to mirror it. They're trying to make that mm-hmm. mirroring Better and when you think about things like ordering, you know, takeout with the family, and you want the family to be able to look at the menu. I know I've had this experience where we end up passing the phone around. It would be nice to to be able to quickly mirror that to a larger screen. We could take a look at it together, place our order, and move forward. So the the lines are blurring. You know, I, I would just say that uh, it's it's a, a real challenge for big trade shows to you know, make the transition to uh, online. It's, uh, you know, they are by their nature, very experiential. And, you know, Sean, as you mentioned, it was a a bit of a smaller show this year in terms of raw exhibitors. And I think what happened there is that, you know, a lot of the big guys continue to get attention and there's still an opportunity to do panels and keynotes because those are just presentations anyway. And those translate relatively well. But uh, a lot of what you lose is, uh, and you know, there, there were some very interesting products introduced by startups and small companies that got attention at the virtual CES. But, uh, but, and and you know, and and uh, conversely, a lot of noise <laughs> that got filtered out. Uh, but uh, but I still think, by and large, uh, a lot of those lesser categories, smaller categories, uh, XR. Uh, networking, IoT, um, unfortunately, you know, just have a harder time competing for attention in uh, in a virtual event that's uh, aims to be as broad as CES. We definitely saw announcements in all those categories, but I would agree that you lose out on some of the serendipity that mm-hmm. takes place. Absolutely at, at at CES, and the other thing that CES I think does a really good job at is is showing what happens when you marry technology developments across different categories. So it isn't uncommon to walk into a booth at CS and see multiple technologies interacting with one another, different partnerships that have developed over time, uh, and they can highlight all of that. Whereas in a digital space, things tend to happen um, in kind of lockstep, right? So it's sequential as opposed to everything happening at, at the same time. You see things in a much more discreet way in a digital environment. And so I think, uh, you know, there was a lot of debate early in the pandemic of are we going to just stay digital all the time? And I think a week like this really highlights the importance of 
in-person events. I think we are going to get back to a lot of these in-person events. There, there's also a sense of community that's been lost. Absolutely. That, that uh, we all want to gather back together and see old friends. And so I think a lot of that will come back. But I do think that there is some interesting opportunity for digital platforms to, to thrive and build a different type of community that can last far beyond just the days of the event. So uh, we'll, we'll, that's where the hybrid comes in for me. Probably a great place to end it. Thanks for joining this week's episode of Techspansive. We will be back next week with even more tech news for you to digest here in season five of the Techspansive podcast. I am Sean Dubrovac from Avrio Institute, and you can find me on Twitter at Sean Dubrovac. And I'm Ross Rubin. You can find me on Twitter at Ross Rubin. Thanks so much for listening.